Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you doing on this Friday? Hey, it's Friday. We haven't talked since before Christmas, so I hope you had a Merry Christmas. We're about to have New Year's Eve, so happy holiday season in general, but I'm doing great. What about you? Uh, it's it's all good over here, man. It was a great Christmas. Um I'm continued to be reminded of why I take the week off between Christmas and New Year's every year because <laughs> I, I haven't worked this week. I've done a lot of stuff around the house, checked off a lot of, you know, things on the honeydew list, and it's been great. So lifted I have no weights, complaints. Hopefully. Absolutely lifted some weights, um, you know, did some drywall work, believe it or not. So mm. uh, spackle. Uh, keep going. Keep <laughs> yeah, going. <laughs> yeah. I was wearing a shirt, um, so I can stop there. But no, it's been all good, man. I know you traveled. Luckily, you skipped all the craziness that's been going on with that. Yes. So glad you're already back in Oklahoma City. Yeah, we lucked out. We went back to Baton Rouge for a few days and had a little bit of delays on the way out there. But that was the day in Oklahoma City. It was like negative 29 wind chill and it was snowing everywhere outside of Oklahoma and everything. So um, we got a little delayed, but on the way back, we flew back Christmas morning and no delay at all there. So we got lucky and uh, you know, I feel sorry for everybody that's having to miss. I know the players, some of the players actually got stranded, I think, in Arizona. Not oh, wow. stranded, but they had to stay. Yeah, I saw that. I think it was on Pokes Report that there were 15 Oklahoma State players and staff who were working to get home. That's uh, crazy. As I think he, I think. Robert Allen wrote that like yesterday or the day before. So pretty wild. Hopefully everybody got home safe. And like I said, I feel sorry for everybody that's running into those issues, but we made it out safe and had a great time in Baton Rouge. One of my cousins decided to get married around Christmas. So family could be there as well as friends. So that was a lot of fun. It was a good time. I always have a lot of fun going back there and seeing family and friends. Yeah, good. Well, it's uh, it's good to hear from you. It's been too long. I know we've been texting, but uh, it's it's weird going from Tuesday to Friday of next week and not having talked. This got to be the, the longest, longest one, huh? Yeah, this is the longest gap we've had without a yeah. podcast. So I know people are yearning for us to pump a little sunshine into your lives, right? We're here to <laughs> blindly tell you that everything's fine. We are going to put our orange colored sunglasses on like we do every week. And we're just going to lie to you. We're just going to pump some sunshine this morning. I'm excited to do it. Well, we shouldn't have had known sunshine pumper Adam Lunn on. I think that's what got everybody riled up. So Adam, we're not having you on again until next year. I know you don't want to come on anyway, but we're not having you on again until next year. Cause we need people, the people need a break from your Kool-Aid orange drinking, just ridiculous self. Yeah, I, I uh, personally am am looking forward to, you know, having watched all the film that you and I both watch and then getting on this podcast and lying about what we watched. I, I'm really pumped about doing that today. Um, you can we, sense this. You sound really butthurt right now. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe. I don't know if we're butthurt. <laughs> I, I just think, uh, you know, it's a good time to remind you this podcast doesn't 
paint with broad brushes. We, we've talked about this. We look at every scenario individually, player by player, position group by position group, literally, and coach by coach. So uh, I it love what we do. Wrong. We may be wrong because we're, we're not lying. We won't lie to you. I can. Yes, promise we you. won't lie. Um, so anyway, I felt like we had to say that. And uh, it won't yeah, be the last sure. time I get extremely sarcastic about it. So, I mean, Dustin, <laughs> without further ado, I should say before we get into the guaranteed rate bowl, you know, recap, we have a lot of questions this week and almost all of them center around, you know, the news of the week. I know a lot of you want to hear our take on Trace Ford on the Mike Gundy press conference situation. We will talk about those things. It will be in the question portion of the show later on as we were asked about all of that. So we will just get right into the bowl uh, recap and then we'll answer those questions uh, later on. And I'll get back. And Kate, thanks so much for laying that out. And thank you everybody for all the questions. It really means a lot when you guys send those. I know we say that every week, but it, it really does. Um, but we're going to probably, we'll hit some transfer portal in the questions, but we won't dive deep into it like we normally do because we're going to record again as we put out on Twitter on Monday. So just a few days away. So we'll hit transfer portal hard. Uh, the dead period is going on anyway, right now, next week, the transfers that are planning to enroll mid year. So for the spring can actually start unofficially visiting again, the recruit, the high school recruits can't, but the transfers can. So we actually should hear a little bit of news on Monday during the recording or before the recording. So we just wanted to wait and kind of get that out there, but we'll still talk a little bit, uh, especially based around the questions. I just wanted to get that out there as well. But Kate, thanks for laying that out. No, I'm I'm glad you did. I, uh, there's a lot going on. It's going to be an interesting transition. I mean, we are in the off season now. Uh, It's going to be a long one, but we've got hoops. I mean, OSU plays KU in Allen Fieldhouse tomorrow. So we're just getting right back into the swing of things on the hoop side, but it'll be fun. uh, And I look forward to kind of the next few months on the podcast with you, Dustin. But let's let's get into it. I mean, Oklahoma State, you know, gets down big 24 to 7 in this game, makes a little bit of a comeback attempt uh, and ultimately falls short. I know the game was not nearly that simple. Tons of new faces on both sides of the football for both Oklahoma State and Wisconsin. Uh, But this was, I mean, you had true freshman quarterback, uh, true freshman running back, true freshman wide receiver and uh, Stephon Johnson. There were freshmen all over the place for Oklahoma State. It was exactly as you, me, and Lunt talked about last week. You guys asked me, like, would you rather a win or look good in a loss? Well, we got neither of those because I was not blown away with what I saw on on Tuesday night. I don't know how you felt. It almost was exactly what Lunt's bad or not bad scenario, but Lunt's win. But the players don't like like Rangel and Ollie Gordon maybe don't look that great. It was that part of the scenario, but we also got the loss. It, so, it was the only thing we didn't discuss. <laughs> we couldn't pick it's that up. The option. worst of both worlds. Maybe that's the sunshine pumping. Like there's no there's no scenario where we can lose and look bad. Maybe that's <laughs> it. So here, Cade, my take overall, just personally, with this game, the the start time was originally nine fifteen Central Time. It got bumped back ten minutes due to the East Carolina game. I believe that's who it was going a little long. And then the game actually was not the quickest game. Oklahoma State, you know, I'm thinking, hey, I've got to, I'm going to rewatch this anyway. 
I'm just going to turn it off and get a little sleep. And then Oklahoma State starts coming back. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to stay up and watch it. It was a pretty disgusting game. I think you got really close to the score, but reversed. Yeah. I, I, As you said, Oklahoma State was going to win. I think I said 24-21-17. Maybe that's or what I said. 24-21, is that what it was? Okay. You were really close. So shout out to you on that. It just, yeah, there was no, there was no rhythm on offense. And it, it wasn't so much that I think it was all Casey Dunn's play calling or all Garrett Rangel or all offensive line or all the running backs having issues. I think it was kind of nothing was going right. Casey Dunn couldn't call any plays that were working. Rangel was having some accuracy issues. Yeah. The running backs were having some vision issues. I didn't, you know, the, the grass that was laid down over the chase field oh. turf. We heard multiple players. If you go to, if you have an OSU max subscription, you can see some of the post game player press conferences and you get, they all were asked about it. And all of them either Lyric Rawls laughed when he was asked about it. And John Paul Richardson, who normally gives pretty coach speak straight up answers, even said, you know, I consider myself a good route runner and I was unable to run good routes on this grass. So all of that kind of combined led to the, a pretty putrid performance from the Oklahoma state offense, only 281 total yards. I said this to you, Kate, off air, 57 total plays on offense. That's the lowest since the start of the 2020 season and only the second time they went under 60 plays. The other time was last year's loss to Iowa State. So just kind of a disgusting overall <laughs> from the offense. And the defense did some good things, but they gave up way too many explosives. Yeah, I think you nailed it uh, every way. I, I was really disappointed with yeah I'll, I'll just say it there were some accuracy issues from the quarterback that concerned me going forward um i'm not saying we pull the ripcord on garrett rangel at all i i think he's got talent he's got moxie i didn't know he had a little bit of uh improvisational ability in him but he absolutely does i think you can work with that but even when things were schemed open you know, we everybody's clamoring for that. Just scheme somebody open. Even when they were, the throws weren't there. You can blame that on timing. You can blame that on accuracy. And I think a lot of it was that second piece. So I think, you know, starting with the quarterback play, he looked like a true freshman. Um, he didn't look uh, maybe overwhelmed by the moment. I was just concerned with his general accuracy. There were several times, even in that second quarter, there were three routes ran on a, on a drive. This was a three and out. And each one, he had a receiver that he overthrew. So it was a concerning performance going forward. Again, true freshman making his fourth start. I'm not ready to pull that ripcord. I just do think it goes back to the conversation you and I had a couple of weeks ago about next season. If there's any doubt in your mind that Oklahoma State needs a transfer portal quarterback, I think that should have been resolved on Tuesday. I hope that's not too harsh. No, I, I completely agree with you. And Kate, th th that was a perfect segue. You want to just get into the offense. I think we gave enough of the overview recap there, and that was great stuff on the QB. We can talk about QB, but just overall on the offense, one really interesting note, Kate, I put this out on my Twitter thread. This was the first game all season. And again, you know, I may, I, I went back and rewatched every play. I actually watched a little bit more this morning before we got on 
of the of the game again just to kind of double check some of my work just a little qa that i do that for you guys a little <laughs> auditing but they went 11 personnel on all but one play in this game so rashad owens Braden cassidy or J- i think jake schultz got a little bit of run but it was mainly cassidy and owens they were out one of those two was out on every single play and they were never out there at the same time, except for one when they went 23 personnel down by the goal line, which is the two running back, three cowboy back under center set. We've seen several times this year. So this was the first game all season, no 10 personnel. So no four wide receiver, no tight end, no cowboy back and no 12 personnel, which is the set with two cowboy backs on the field. Did you find that interesting at all? I'm not actually even a hundred percent sure why with Cassidy and Owens, both available, why they never really tried to do that. My, my one guess would be to keep things spread out because Wisconsin's rush defense is so stout and Oklahoma state's run offense has not been great. If you keep, you know, in that 11 personnel and you don't do a lot of, they, they, there were really no of those tight bunch sets with the receivers near the offensive linemen. They kind of spread everything out and they even had some really wide sp- splits. I think that that's my guess at the reason, but did you find that interesting? I, at well, all? I think you nailed it. I think it was, you know, a little bit of concern, still a little bit of a patchwork offensive line that they're working with. I will say this was one of the better performances from the offensive line we've seen, uh, at least my assessment of it. But that Wisconsin front seven was big. They were noticeably bigger than really anybody that Oklahoma State had faced this year. And I would say it absolutely was because they were probably concerned about their ability. If they were to spread things out, I think they probably had two concerns. One, could you block, you know, numbers on numbers? Could you get a hat on a hat if you're Oklahoma State? I would say the answer is probably no, knowing what we've seen all season. And then the second one is if you go empty or if you go four wide, one running back and, you know, no cowboy back or if you if you empty things, do you trust Garrett Rangel to read that defense and make the throws? I would also say that that was probably a concern they had. Yeah, I, I completely agree. That's a great point. A couple of stats I wanted to hit before we get into the position groups. Only 25% of Oklahoma State's plays were on Wisconsin side of the field. Oh, wow. Well, it felt like it. My gosh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> compared compared to 49% for Wisconsin on Oklahoma State side of the field. Well, did it feel um, like the, did it feel like Oklahoma State couldn't flip the field no matter what they tried. They were starting on, I don't know their average starting field position. You might have that, but it was terrible all game. Well, even, even with some great punts to try to help them yeah. flip the field from Logan Ward, my guy, yeah, my, my guy who, you know, we talk about <laughs> guys playing over other guys, Gundy and the staff is ma- maybe making bad decisions. Logan Ward over Tom Hutton. I'm just the, saying, the I don't want to get too driver. hot. I don't want to get too hot, but when we're talking when we're talking about positions that maybe the wrong guy was starting, I think you got to look at punter. But look, He's got that's a, a story for another day. I know I'm going to make people really mad with that take. But uh, so th- there was a lot of quads we saw in this game too, trying to get some overload. So that'd be four receivers to one side of the formation. So it would normally be two or three receivers and then one of the running backs because, like I said, they're in eleven personnel, so it wouldn't have been four receivers out there. But four guys split out wide to one side of the formation, trying to do some overload stuff to Wisconsin. I didn't really hate the formations they used. Another thing they were doing a lot of, Kate, I mentioned this, but I didn't put a clip of it. I mentioned it in one of the tweets in the thread. They would split the Cowboy back out as the far outside receiver 
and then motion him back into the formation. So this does a couple things. It can it can tell you if Wisconsin is in man or zone. They may tip their hand depending on how they were lined up originally. Also, because we know Oklahoma State likes to run their running plays with the Cowboy back at that H-back spot, lined off a little bit offset of one of the tackles. If you bring him in and don't start him there, it kind of confuses the defense a little bit. You can split him back out. We saw a couple of times where Owens got brought back into the formation, set up at one H-back, and then right before the snap, moved to the other H-back spot. It just kind of gets Wisconsin not to be able to catch on because as you and I have said, Oklahoma State isn't super creative on offense. I don't think that's a hot take. Just from what we've seen, from what we've laid out with the personnel groupings, the type of plays they run, there's not a ton of creativity. That helps when you don't have a ton of creativity because it's messing with the defense as you're changing around your alignments right before the snap happens. So I did like that a lot. There was also a good amount of pre-snap motion, something that you and I have been clamoring for, not just the Cowboy back, but Brennan Presley and John Paul Richardson were moving around a lot. And the the one thing that I wanted to call out, John Paul Richardson played the X, the X receiver spot all game. So that would be your wide receiver that's lined up on the left side of the formation for Oklahoma State. That's not always what the X receiver means. It sometimes depends on, you know, the strength of the field and wide side and boundary and things like that. But Oklahoma State lines up their X to the left side of the formation. And John Paul played there, which is something you and I said we thought he could do. And he, he was there. Well, and he got what, one target? I mean, it was one target and one catch. So it was just that kind of day for the Oklahoma State offense when arguably your best receiver gets one target. Um, I, I'll go back to some of the things you said originally. Did you feel like the, the game plan overall made sense given what Wisconsin shows you? I think it does. I think they, they tried to keep things simple for a freshman quarterback. Again, I'm concerned about his ability to read a, a wide-open offense Uh, against a pretty stout Wisconsin defense but did you feel like they had a good feel for what you know Wisconsin was trying to do and then you know attack accordingly it looked like what they wanted to do early and I put this in the Twitter thread is they were giving Rangel some RPO reads and they're mainly pre-snap but what he's doing we've talked about this with Spencer Sanders they run it a lot with Sanders as well he'll look at how many Wisconsin guys are in the box so meaning in that kind of four to six yard area off the line of scrimmage along with the defensive linemen. If there's more guys in the box than there are out with the wide receivers, defensive backs out with the wide receivers, you throw the wide receiver screen. If not, you hand the ball off on inside zone or sometimes they'll run it with outside zone or counter. But they wanted to do that because Wisconsin primarily has their defensive backs their corners off the line of scrimmage like like Oklahoma State does they're playing off coverage so it gives you a little bit of a cushion to run those wide receiver screens and you saw you know Boogie breaks a big one you saw Brandon Presley get free on one but outside of that it didn't seem like they knew what was going to work they had a obviously Casey Dunn had a script he had a game plan but they didn't know it was going to work and then nothing worked and it just turned into straight chaos so Overall, no, I did not like the game plan. I liked a few things. Like I talked about the motion. I thought going to the wider screen or screens when your running game doesn't work makes sense. We've, right. we've seen teams in the pros. We've seen teams in college do that when their running game has been bad and they have solid receivers and a quarterback who can get the ball out there. 
But overall, I, I did not love the game plan. I didn't think it was a great job from Casey Dunn. And I didn't think it was a great job by the offense executing the plays that were called. So, I mean, did, did you have different thoughts? No, on that? no, I don't. I, I completely agree with you. I think you have too many freshmen in too many key spots. Again, I thought the offensive line had a, a decent game, which is better than you could say for most of the games in the last half of this season. Outside of that, though, there was not a whole lot of good that anybody did on the offensive side of the ball. Outside of Boogie's touchdown catch and run, uh, the individual effort from Garrett Rangel and Ollie Gordon to, you know, turn a surefire sack into a touchdown. And then that deep pass to Presley, there was not a lot to get excited about with this offense. And because of that, I think you have to look at everybody and say this is just a collective, you know, D minus to F type of performance. Yeah, I agree. It, let's go ahead to, you know, we've talked about Rangel throwing the ball around. Let's dive into him a little bit more, if that's cool with you. One thing Wisconsin was doing is they were, they played a ton of zone and they moved their guys around. This is something Jim Leonard has done. Wisconsin's defensive coordinator has done all season. It really confused Rangel. I think if they would have played more man, he may have had a little bit more success. And I'm not saying like, he was completely confused, but I, I, there was a few times where you saw him leave the pocket when he maybe had time to sit in there and throw, but he, I don't think he realized what, I think the coverage was something different than what he thought it was pre-snap and it got him a little bit thrown off. They were playing inside leverage. So the cornerback is playing lined up inside of the outside receiver to the wide side of the field. And basically they were daring Rangel to throw the lower percentage deep outbreaking routes. And when he did, he was having a little bit of trouble getting his footing on the grass. Sometimes there was pressure. And just sometimes, like I said, he was leaving the pocket a little early and he wasn't even able to get the ball out there on those routes. And you know, the, when he did like the one to Braden Johnson out, out to the sideline, it was just a little bit off target. He was two of 11 on throws, 10, 10 or more yards down the field. Yeah, there's the accuracy that, issue right there. And and in order to back a defense off of that approach, you have to be able to hit on some of those. We have talked about this all year. You know, whether if it was at the beginning of the year, we talked about Oklahoma State's lack of a deep threat at the wide receiver spot. It wasn't necessarily a Spencer Sanders thing. Now, it's kind of both. You've got a quarterback that doesn't necessarily have the accuracy yet to make that throw, and you don't really have a receiver who's physical enough to shed that off and go up and make a catch, especially – with no Bryson Green available in this game. So really, that's a, that's a disaster waiting to happen if somebody doesn't just go make a play. So two for 11 is actually even better than it felt like at the time. Yeah, and and passes where he was not under pressure, where he was kept clean. He had 21 attempts. He only completed 10 of them. Yeah, That's 48%. You've got to be higher on the kept clean because you know when you're under pressure, when you're blitzed, your percentage isn't going to be as high. So it's tough. You know, I, I liked... He made some good throws. You know, Brennan Presley had the drop on that, which I really love that play, how they set it up. They ran a bunch of wide receiver screens, and then they run a play where Brennan Presley fakes like he's going to block oh, yeah. for Talon Shetron on the wide receiver screen, and he kind of leaks up the field wide open. I'm pretty sure that's going for a what? Would it have been like a 60-yard touchdown? I, I think if it he was catches that. Yeah, I think it was a, a safety there, but I mean – he didn't have a great angle on Brennan. We watched that play several times. It still wasn't a great throw. No. Brennan Presley has to catch that. Yeah. I He's mean, it hit, him, it hit him in the fingertips. I, I would I would put that on both guys. Yes. Rangel has to make that throw. That's a 
you know, that's pretty routine and it's a crossing route that should look pretty attractive in the wide open spaces that Presley was running in. And then you need your junior receiver to catch the ball. Yeah, I agree. And so Kate, I have the, I had this down. I was trying to look for it when I was talking about the wide receiver screens, but I had five wide receiver screens go for 119 yards and on the day Rangel only threw for 229. Yeah. So, well, you know, one more of than those... 50% of his passes were on those high percentage wide receiver screen throws. So that just kind of tells you about those accuracy issues. The thing is, like you mentioned early when we when we were talking about him at the very beginning, you can tell he has, you know, he's got swagger. The guys after the game all said he never got down on himself. The one interception to Owens, I, I don't think that's completely on him. It was a low throw, but Owens has to bring that in. Yep. And, you know, I love Rashad. I love Cassidy. But when you do stuff like that, then it's like, why do we throw to the Cowboys? <laughs> why do we though, have, yeah, why do we have them? Yeah, it's it's very yeah, strange. I, and, and I'm a proponent for throwing to the Cowboy backs. I'm just saying. So there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of zone read type of plays too, which I think he maybe re- made the wrong read on a couple of times. And you can see he and Gunnar Gundy are just not anywhere near as dynamic a runner as Spencer Sanders, which Spencer is elite level. I'm not saying they should be. You just lose that capability of the offense, and, and it's tough because that makes your offense tick when you've got a guy that can run like that, but there's not very many of those guys out there, and he's got to make up for it in other areas. The only thing, Cade, I know you said you're not writing him off. I'm not either. I didn't see. I watched, I think, five full games of him from high school when I wrote about him. These accuracy issues. Yeah. We're not a problem. And I know our guy, Adam Lunt, and I, you, you and I, he and I have all talked about this off air. He agrees on that. I don't see them continuing. I think, and I don't want to make excuses, but the rain game at West Virginia, the sod in this game, and then his first ever start being on the road. I know it's KU, but still on the road. I want to see, you know, a few more games. What Gundy says it takes 15 before, you know, I really say, man, this guy has accuracy issues because he didn't in high school. Well, I totally agree with you. And I'll say this. I don't think you can do 15 games with those types of issues. I mean, the offense needs a quarterback that you don't even have to be an elite level runner. You don't have to be an elite passer, but you need to be average. And that wasn't average. Um, And, you know, you look back to let's let's just say Mason Rudolph. This may be an unfair comparison second best quarterback in school history. Right. But no, those issues weren't present with Mason Rudolph as a freshman either. There were some decision-making issues, but there was no accuracy, like glaring issues that, that popped up from high school to college. And so I'll chalk a lot of that up to Rangel was in an unfair situation this year, thrown in behind an awful offensive line thrown in really with, with no option to do much of anything with what was around him. I think that's a failure on the coaching staff. I think that's a failure uh, with personnel as well. So um, not ready to write Rangel off, but the accuracy issues leads you to not getting those 15 games that it takes to get your feet wet that Mike Gundy says about, because you can't do 11 more of these. Yeah, no, I agree. And and the last thing I wanted to say on on Garrett, just in in this aspect where we're only talking about him, well, two things. So I I still think it's unfair that he's having to play right now. His body is just not ready to play as a true freshman, and to put him out there in these situations. And we know Gunnar Gundy was not available. 
We know Garrett beat him out, so I'm not saying you play Gunnar Gundy. But just being overly critical on Rangel for some of for these performances, and, and I think we all, you and I are being very critical right now, so I'm saying this to us as well. You've got to remember that like th- this guy, you can tell he looks like a guy that just came out of high school. Body-wise, oh, yeah. just kind of just oh, everything about him. And I'm not saying that he sh- – you know, that means he should, you know, get a pass, but some guys come in as true freshmen and their body is a lot more ready. I, even Spencer Sanders, I believe, I think his body looked a lot more ready. Rangel, you can tell he needs a little bit more time with coach glass. He needs a little bit more conditioning, a little bit more strength, just everything to be able to go out there and play well. And I, I think through this off season, he'll get there. I'm not worried about that at all. I just that is one thing I think you have to take into account, and then the last thing was the the read. I know he's getting killed for the read, handing it off to Ollie when he had to end up flipping it to him in the end zone. I know Coach Dunn after the game said he should have handed it off. If you go back and watch the play, if he hands it off, he walks into the end zone. But as you and I and Lunt were talking about, the read on that is the end, right? The end man on the line of scrimmage, guy that tackles Rang that's tackling Rangel is the line the outside linebacker right, right so Rangel's reading the in man on the line of scrimmage who's crashing inside which would tell him to keep the linebacker scrapes over the top which is a great way to play the zone read it's it's the counter to zone read from the defense scrapes over the top and he's right there to hit Rangel I don't think it was as bad a read as it looked initially on tape. That's very confusing, especially for a true freshman quarterback. He's got to learn and be able to realize the linebacker scraping, but I wouldn't kill him for that either. Well, I, I love that call out. I'll say something, you know, I'll give him a little credit. I love the energy and enthusiasm that he plays with. You know, he's losing his footing. He's falling down on his butt. He's getting hit. He's not making throws. And then he makes a play like that. I don't know if you caught this, but him and Ollie on the sideline, it was like they just won the Super Bowl. And I know for, you know, two true freshmen, you know, it's the guaranteed rate bowl. You're six and you're seven and five. The season didn't go the way you wanted it to. But for those two guys, that had to feel pretty cool. And I loved it in the moment. He also was the first guy down the field on Stephon Johnson's touchdown, you know, catch and run. And he's hammering him on the helmet. So I'll say this. I love the enthusiasm, the moxie. um, And I think he's got some poise for a guy, you know, true freshman being thrown into this situation. If he cleans up those accuracy issues, I think he's going to be a really good quarterback. But that's a big question. Yeah, because we've seen from his high school film that, you know, he has some ability to read the defense, which you don't, which you can't always see on high school film. But he, he showed some of that. So yeah, if he can clean that up, I, I I'm still very high, and I know the coaching staff is on Garrett Rangel. So, um, and no one clipped the beginning of what I just said after that long pause. But the so, I I just think the like you said though the players love him. They talked to Braden Cassidy. They talked yeah. to Preston Wilson. They're just giving this guy a ton of props, saying he's you know he he's all bought in and everything. He even thought you know he was competing with Sanders going into the season like he thinks he has the ability to be the one even with spencer sanders on the team so you got to love that from a guy and i don't think it's delusional i think it's just confidence in your in your play so i think you know i don't know if there's anything else we can say on garrett rangel and and just talking about him Cade. what about moving to the running game uh the official is 26 attempts 
for 52 yards, which is two yards per carry. I have it at 2.5 yards a carry, which would be 25 attempts going for 63 yards because I took out the one sack. Also really wanted to take out the minus nine yard slip by Rangel, but I left it in because it's not a sack technically, I guess. So pretty terrible day uh, from the running backs. DeAndre Jackson wasn't really able to do anything in his five carries. Jaden Nixon only got two chances. The reverse to Presley didn't go well. Ollie Gordon, I did not think, you know, we talked about the offensive line. I didn't think the run blocking was great. One issue there I saw, you know, Jason Brooks, who's playing guard, every time he tried to climb to the second level on zone runs, he slipped. Every yeah, right. single time. I, I made I made like a blooper reel, basically, of it, because he kept, <laughs> I didn't put that one on Twitter, but he literally slipped like nine times trying to go up to the second level. So a lot of factors in this game, not making an excuse, but one thing here, Cade, you see the electricity that Ollie has. I, I know the running out of bounds right before the end of the half was not super smart. You see he can make something out of nothing. He did it a few times in this game. But then when he has a hole, he sometimes misses it. And I think that's just a true freshman. Again, like we talked about with Garrett Rangel, he's going to improve on that. If he can improve his vision, he's got a chance to be one of the best running backs in the Big 12, just based off the other intangibles that he has. Well, Is that too hot of a take? No, because I think that's all we're going off of with Ollie Gordon right now. The way people talk about him has not necessarily come to fruition on the field yet, but you can see flashes of it. You know, there was the... You know, catch and run against Arizona State. There's the, you know, play on the sideline against Texas. There's this game where he makes that catch in the end zone. Um, there are flashes of it, but I don't know if it's all come on any one individual play where it's like, there it is. That's the guy we thought he would be. I think the potential is there. He's just got to put it all together. And that division has to improve, but I, that's going to come, right? I think with a a reimagined running game next year with more counters, more gap scheme. I think that's going to come. And I also think having maybe another guy behind you in Sean Tyler who can provide a different level of punch to the defense can open some things up for him. Um, I think bottom line is the offensive line has to be better uh, because it's not as if he's, you know, he's running behind, you know, a great one right now. So, Yeah. <laughs> I just you can't you can't win games when you only have six rushes from the running backs that go for five yards or more. I mean, on the day, it's awful. It's awful. And four, four of those were from Ollie. Ollie was doing everything he could. I, I actually thought I know he's not getting a lot of love for this game because you look at twelve carries for forty five yards, three point eight yards a carry. The couple of big runs he did have, he got grabbed at the line of scrimmage or even behind it and got free and made a couple moves. And like I said, he made some bad, he made some bad reads on the zone runs, but I do think he's showing you a lot and I would not be down on Ollie, especially after that performance that he showed at the end of the regular season. So I agree there. Okay. Did you like the troll from Gundy and Dunn running counter on the very first rushing play and then not running it again. Oh, I was looking for it the whole time, and it comes on the first play, and I'm like, wow, maybe this is the start of something new. Not yet. Not yet, guys. That's a troll. Shout out to the coaching staff for trolling. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate a good troll. Uh, the last stat, Kate, on the running backs, I don't have a lot because the running backs only ran at, what, 12, 17, 19 runs from the running back, and we already talked about Ollie. So uh, the only other stat I wanted to hit was run stuff percentage. So that's rushes that are stopped for no gain or a loss. 
32%. That's yeah. way too high. Yeah, that's that's really bad. And it also it puts you in a position to where you're probably calling plays the way you don't want to. Like Garrett Rangel has a disproportionate amount of throws because they can't get in front of the chains. Everything yeah. is, you know, second and nine, third and eight, and you're throwing on those downs. So uh, it's just a tough game to evaluate from the running backs for that reason. It was it was not great. Um, yeah, it's it's tough. Yeah, and going so looking at it into the season. Dominic Richardson, 543 yards. Spencer Sanders, 391. Ollie Gordon, 308. I'm almost positive that's what we said at the beginning of the season when we got asked who our top three rushers were going to be. I'm pretty sure we said Dom, then we thought it needed to be Sanders, and then you and I both thought Ollie was going to crack in there. I also think we probably thought it would be more like Dom with like 900, Spencer (laughs) with 700, (laughs) Ollie with 560. Not that. Yeah, and uh, I think it may have been me that actually said Nixon instead of Gordon, but one of us had Ollie in the top three. And then, Kate, you had, if you want to move on to wide receivers, Brendan Presley leads. You had him for leading in receptions and yards. I said Braden Johnson would lead in yards and Presley would lead or be close in receptions, but I had Braden Johnson going up in yards. So you called that one too, my friend. So you, I appreciate that. You were killing it there. Brandon Presley, I think, out of the wide receivers, had by far the best game. I mean, six catches for 74 yards. I know I'm talking about the one drop he had. I think there was one other one he probably could have caught. I think it was on a screen pass, but it was not a good pass. Ten targets. They really wanted to get him involved. I think what they were trying to do was get their dynamic receivers in space and see if they could make something happen. And we saw Presley do it. I think he had one go for... I mean, that big throw downfield was like a 30-yarder, I think, and then Boogie had the 84-yarder. My my one complaint here, and someone on Twitter mentioned this, Boogie only got 22 snaps. And I know he was rotating in with John Paul, and you and I both talk about how we think John Paul should get more snaps. I'm a little confused why that we didn't see some 10 personnel to where JPR and Brennan could both be out there at the same time, why John Paul wasn't rotating in and out with Brennan at slots, and why Boogie wasn't getting some more reps. That was the the one question I had. And I know he's had some down performances this year. He's a true freshman, but it's the bowl game. I, I think maybe, you know, give him more than two targets in 22 snaps. Yeah, and I had that wrong. I think I had him at one target when I said it earlier. But yeah, I mean, it's he should be. Brennan Presley's counterpart in this offense with, you know, you've got Stephon Johnson, Rashad Owens, Talon Shetron, Braden Johnson. That's really kind of your receiver core, plus the others that we just talked about. You need more targets to John Paul Richardson. He's your other guy right now. So I, I don't get that either. Um, it would have allowed uh, Boogie Johnson to stay on the field longer. It was a little curious. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, and, and I'm fine with Brennan playing. He played 56 of the 57 offensive snaps, which I, I don't think he said a 98% snap percentage all season. But he's your most dynamic receiver. I mean, him and – no, it's I mean, it's him. It's him yeah, and I the don't... crew that you had out there. There's younger guys who I think could eventually maybe be more dynamic. But I think it's Brennan while he's out there. I just – yeah, it was it was tough because there wasn't a lot of – you know, they tried the fade balls. John Paul did his best to make that one not be an interception. Yep. 
you know, he gets, he gets stacked on top of, it was the right read from Rangel, but he gets stacked there. He's not able to get past the DB. So that was tough. Like I said, you know, you had a couple drops, you had a lot of screen throws. So there weren't really that, like I said, 11 attempts, 10 plus yards down the field. There weren't even that many to choose from. I think it was more the receivers. You could say they didn't have a great game overall, but they weren't really yeah, right. heavily utilized, I guess, down the field. Well, when the ball doesn't get there, it's kind of tough to evaluate them, right? I mean, I, I I don't think drops were a major issue. It looked like guys were slipping and sliding in their routes. So it is tough to evaluate them when there's really, I mean, what is 14 completed passes on the day? And what did you say went to wide receivers? 13 of them or 12? I think it's 13 it was, of them. Yeah. Because yeah. Owens had the long catch. So anyway... That's really Gordon tough. Had one, Owens had one, and Nixon had one. Yeah, so that's that's eleven of the passes go to receivers. That's a that's a tough sample size to evaluate their performance on the whole, especially when you know the the majority of those are bubble screens. So, and I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up the grass again because if John Paul is gonna call that out, he never makes excuses. It was a difficult day for them to cut. I yeah, so it, it's tough and. Lastly, Cowboy backs so who we're going to hit since we're hitting receivers. Four targets. They are getting targeted. I think they're averaging around three, four targets the past like five or six games. And we've called that out every time. Owens was hit deep downfield on the, I know he had the drop, but he kind of breaks free of behind the zone coverage and Rangel finds him, which was really good job by Rangel outside yep. of the pocket, finding Owens downfield. So shout out to him. Great job by Owens making the catch. Gives the first down point. I'm a big first down point guy. Love that. So I do it in my living room. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Kate, one thing on the, on the Cowboy backs, you know, it, it's something when people ask about the scheme change stuff and the like how to make the run game better. One thing you have to remember going into this season, and we haven't seen it called yet, but Oklahoma State has kind of tried to go away from it, that I think is hurting Owens in regards to the blocking game. Oklahoma State likes to line up their Cowboy back in that H-back spot. That's outside of the tackle box. So going into this season, you now can no longer cut block, go low on a, on a defender when you are outside the tackle box. So that split zone play yep. where the Cowboy back comes across the formation, he now cannot cut block that defensive end and – the offensive lineman can't climb up to the second level and cut block a linebacker. So that really hurts a lot of the things you were doing in the zone run game. And it really hurts a guy like Rashad Owens, who doesn't have a ton of experience at Cowboy back, who can lean on those cut blocks as kind of, you know, free pass cards. Yeah, like, his hey, contribution. Not, right. Right. I'm not strong enough to take this guy on one-on-one, -on -one, but I can go low on him, not illegally like not at his knees, but go low on him and hold him up. You can't do that anymore. It's a penalty. So that's tough. And it's something you got to think about. And it's something that I think has really hurt Owens because he is not much help in the blocking game in terms of running. Yeah. Well, that I mean, it makes it extremely difficult when you don't have an elite blocker in that regard. Like look at K-State running that wham block play. Like they have big guys that that that's what they do. They come in and, and they run line back them up play. at fullback, right? Which is inside the tackle box, so it's legal. Yeah, hundred percent. And so you don't necessarily have that on the Oklahoma State roster right now, and it puts your guys like a Rashad Owens, who's a converted receiver to Cowboy back, at a pretty big disadvantage when you can't go in and do that. So, um, it, I I wonder if that's something that 
they go away from that split zone for that reason, because I don't think you have the guy there at that H back spot to be able to come across and make that play. Yeah, that's a great call out. Uh, lastly, offensive line. I know we spent a ton of time on the offense. Preston Wilson gets a start at right guard. He's played over a hundred snaps there in his career, but this is the first game he's played right guard this season. Asked about it after the game and Casey Dunn was asked about it too. They said Wilson's ankle still not a hundred percent and him and coach Dickey thought it might be a better idea for him to play guard and just focus on blocking as opposed to playing center, worrying about his ankle, worrying about snapping the ball, worrying about calling out the protections. And they felt comfortable with Mahalski playing that center spot. However, I think Mahalski out of all the offensive linemen probably had the worst game. Well, Not I, just in picking up stunts from the center spot, passing guys off in terms of run blocking. And like I did with the receivers and the running backs and Rangel, it's hard for them to get their footing on this grass. You can tell. And I know both teams went through it, but Wisconsin's offensive linemen were slipping all over the place too. It, it was tough for Mahalski in this game. I, I thought he had a rough go. I mean, pr- pretty predictable, right? Like I, it's it's been a weak link he has let's I mean I hate to use that term he's had a difficult season um but at center I think the reason makes sense but that was a pretty predictable kind of uh outcome you you could mask some of that at left guard and right guard if you put him in the middle right it's harder to mask your inefficiencies at guard than it is at center so um especially in this kind of zone scheme so it was not a surprise, but I do think it made things really difficult. And I think you look at like that counter play, for example, it's one play, but they got folded up in the middle. It was just, it was done before it started. And you wish Woodard would have been able to play more snaps. He just had a few in there, but you know, he's still banged up. I know he's probably not coming back and might be getting ready for the NFL. So I understand that. Materko, I haven't heard if it was injury related at all. It it may have been performance related, which I, I think you and I, you know, we we have thought we think Materko is a great depth piece, but not a starting caliber guy in the Big Twelve, and so maybe that was the call there on why it was Mahulski, Brooks, and Wilson as opposed to a Wilson at center, Mahul or Materko at guard or something like that. So it, it was interesting to see that. I thought, as we've, we've kind of talked about the offensive line already, I thought everybody outside of Mahalski played okay. I don't think anybody was great. I don't actually think the pass pro was as bad as I've seen I agree. some kind of reviews on it. I think Rangel led to a lot of that pressure himself, leaving the pocket a little too early. Now, the pass pro was not great. The run blocking was bad, but comparatively with the rest of the season, I think it was just like normal bad. Like, I don't think it was worse than it has been. I think it was the the run blocking on this team is just not good. And when you mix in guys not being able to climb to the second level like Brooks, I think it just overall was just an average bad run blocking performance from this offensive line. I, um, I did, yeah. Kate, real quick before I put it back to you, Jake Springfield running all the way down the field on Boogie's touchdown. He was flying. He I absolutely was. I have a question for you, Dustin. Dalton Cooper's coming in. I watched Caleb Etienne not touch a soul on that reverse that got blown up in the backfield. I, I'm to the point, I, it's, and this is not a call out of Caleb Etienne, but I think both tackle positions are up for grabs next year. And I think because you have three on the roster, you could shuffle any of them around. I, do you think that's crazy? Do you think that's hot takey? Like, I do think there's an avenue where Dalton Cooper could be your starting left tackle at some point next year. 
I don't. It, I don't think it's crazy. I think he, this is my this is kind of my thing with Etienne. And do you remember Aaron Cochran? Who I do. From I do. Played yeah. over here. So Aaron Croc- Cochran, similar size to Etienne. They're both monsters. The thing with Cochran is he was he had quicker feet. I'm not saying he had quick feet. He had quicker feet than Etienne. So Etienne, what his specialty is, in my opinion, is he is a because he's so big and long. Unless you, he's going up against an elite ass rusher and that strength and speed wise, he's going to be able to give the quarterback enough time at that left tackle spot That's because he's so big and long. And I'm not saying he's a bad lineman in general. Like he's, he's, a, I think he's a solid pass protecting lineman. The problem is because he's so slow, he's unable to really do much in the run game unless he's just kind of, you know, the backside of the outside zone and he just kind of pushing somebody. Whereas if you're running more gap scheme plays and he can sometimes just kick out the edge guy or even down block. I mean, if, if you have Etienne down blocking on an interior defensive lineman, that interior defensive lineman may die. They're definitely going to get pancaked. So I, I think to, to your point, I do think both tackle spots are probably up for grabs unless Etienne can continue. We saw the huge drop in weight and that was mainly due to get him quicker, more quick on his feet. If he can continue to improve, we've seen improvements. I think I think he could be even better. And if he can't, to your point, I think both tackle spots are up for grabs. Sorry for that long answer. No, that like was great. Do, but. That's exactly what I was wondering, especially like, you know, he's going to be asked to move a little bit more in this new scheme. He's going to have to be a little bit more quicker, a little bit lighter on his feet. Um so it it makes perfect sense to me. I just wondered, you know, as I watched that one play, it's not fair to judge on one play. I'm like, okay, you really need your left tackle to move a little bit. Uh, and at times he does struggle in that regard, but he's a monster. And and for what he lacks there, he makes up for in his size and, and the ability to just get in front of people. So, And he's got, you know, if like, like Lunt mentioned on the last pod, if Springfield comes back, he's still going to compete as well. You've got Austin Kowecki, who's, a little three. bit smaller yeah. guy than Etienne, which I think everyone's a little bit smaller guy than Etienne, but he's, he's from what I've seen on high school film, I know he's a little bit quicker there. So we'll see. I, with Cooper coming in, you've got four guys who eat for those two tackle spots between Etienne, Cooper, Springfield, and Kowecki. And I know, you know, I know I've said my things about Springfield in the past, but as we hashed out on the last pod and the couple in the pod, a couple of pods before, he's improved a lot this season. And for a guy at his age, I'm not saying he's like an old person, relatively speaking, but just experience-wise in college, for a guy with that much experience to continue improving each year is a great sign, I think. Yeah, I, I, I like it. And I said three. There's four, you know, starting caliber tackle players on this roster. So I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what happens on the offensive line. I don't think they're done in the portal. Um, I think there's going to be some additional movement, some additional pieces added. So. Uh, this is going to be something to watch as we go in. I, I was encouraged by the pass protection in this game. I would have loved to see more counter in this game to have any clue as to what this is going to look like next year. But again, I'm I'm excited by that one lone game going into the next year. Yeah, and I, I just want to leave the offense. I, I want, Actually, I'm going to leave it on a negative note because I just wanted to read off this drive chart. <laughs> punt, punt, TD. Punt, 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 interception, punt, punt. It's pretty good. Until you go TD field goal interception at the end. 
That is disgusting. Well, what happened at the end? I mean, how did they, you know, it kind of felt like they were going to come back and tie that game up as they started to find some success on the offensive side of the ball. It was a little strange, right? That goes back to you. I think that goes back to your no quit mentality from Rangel and just rallying the troops. So I I credit him on that for sure. Yeah, I I think a lot of that was Rangel. But anyway, that should wrap us up on the offensive side of the ball, right? Yeah, and my apologies. I was I was going off there for a little bit. So sorry. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Firing from the hip. That's just how we do it. <laughs> All right. Let's get to the defense. I mean, this was a this was probably one of the better performances we've seen. I, I know Wisconsin is not uh dynamic on offense, but they do have a really good running game. You mentioned though, the explosives were way too plentiful. Uh, they gave up some chunk plays that just killed Oklahoma State in this game. but And that was kind of the story of the entire season, right? They defend well for what felt like 80 to 90% of the plays, but the other 10 are the game. So They, they had eight rushes go for over 10 yards. That's compared to Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, who only had six rushes go for over five yards. <laughs> they had a 51-yard rush, 27, 20, 44. It was, I, I mean, the so the two reverses and then the jet sweep, so plays where like wide receivers ran the ball. I believe they went for here. I had it up just really quick. Sorry. Those three rushes went for 60 yards. So that's 20 yards per Carry. You had a 44, a 12, and four yards. So I know the four is not much, but I, you've got to be able to contain and set the edge there and not – I think that was the big problem on these explosives, and Derek made, Mason alluded to it as well. They had issues setting the edge. I, it was a problem with Colin Oliver on multiple occasions. Ben Kapinski had an issue one time. It's something we've seen with guys like Oliver and Kapinski throughout the season. Both these players are super dynamic. They make plays. They're awesome pass rushers. Kapinski even looked great dropping into coverage in this game, which I know at times he hadn't in the past. But I think the the contain and funneling things back inside to your linebackers, and it's not just on the Leos. It's on the interior defensive line. The linebackers play a part as well. But I think you've got... For guys like Oliver and Kapinski, if he's going to come back, they have to continue to improve on how they attack in the run game and not getting out of their area. And like, you know, not if they're the last guy on the edge outside of the cornerback, especially if Oklahoma State's playing man coverage and that wide receiver is already running down the field, they're the last guy over there that can either funnel it inside or make a play. And I just I don't think Colin Oliver did a great job of that in this game, or Ben Kapinski. Well, our, and even Brock Martin had a few. I would even say that that was a a problem for a lot of the year. So, do you have some limitations there? Like, I I think Colin Oliver. I'll call it how I felt all year. I think he took a step back this year. I don't know what the deal is there. Kapinski at times was more effective. So. Do you have some limitations at that position that don't allow you to against a Wisconsin or a K-State or a team with an extremely physical offensive line? Do you have the guys at that position that could fight that off and funnel things back in? Because what we saw all year was no. And he's he's still really young. So I think he goes into this offseason and that's what he works on because we know he's got a plethora of pass rush moves. Right. He's 
pretty much unstoppable unless they throw a running back at him as well, roll away from him. If he gets any help from his interior defensive lineman to where he can go one-on-one against somebody and it's not, you know, that quick passing game, which we've seen teams use against Oklahoma State to try to, you know, kind of subdue guys like Oliver, if he has any time at all, he'll he'll get back there. So I think once he kind of corrects things, which I think is another thing that, you know, holds him back from maybe being a big-time NFL prospect – is his ability to kind of battle in the run game. He gets, he has a lot of trouble getting off blocks, which, you know, offensive line, Wisconsin's offensive linemen are huge. Right. But if he can, if he can improve upon that, he will be a complete player and one of the better defensive ends. If that, that you know, comparing, because not every team plays, calls it Leo, but that defensive end linebacker hybrids in the Big 12, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with that. I think that run game where, He's not able to, you know, put a, a a speed move on an edge or a uh, a strafe move or something to get free. That's where he struggles. And uh, again, you're right; he is young. He is a young player. That he's got to improve in that regard, though. I thought Kapinski at times this year was more effective in that regard, and Brock Martin I thought was the best in that group uh, at doing that. Uh, so yeah. they got to get better. Yeah. And, or you can take, you know, the trace forward route is just kind of fly in there like a madman and make a yeah. play, which we saw him do several times. So you can do that as well, but I, I'm sure the coaches don't always love right, that. Right. Um, scheme wise, Derek Mason talked about it after the game. Wisconsin, they knew what Wisconsin was going to do. They were going to come in, go heavy and try to gross things up in the middle of the field. That's what they did. Oklahoma state, showed that they knew they were going to do that because we saw that kind of bare front come back with the three defensive linemen and the two Leos on the field. So it was an old school style, you know, pro style type of, I guess, big 10 style type of football game. But that's what Wisconsin wanted to do. And they knew they were going to have success. And I think the thing here is holding Wisconsin to 24, you know, somewhere around the 17 to 24 range, when they're doing that with a guy like Braylon Allen, even though I know they're playing a backup quarterback, but they've got some good skill guys. We talked about their offensive linemen. I know they were playing out of position, but these are really solid players. One, I mean, their center, the reason why he's not playing is because he's going to be a high round NFL draft pick. So I think holding them to around that point range was great by the defense. You just expect your offense to go out. Like you need your offense to go out and score more. In this in this regard, no they've got to score more than 17. You should beat Wisconsin scoring 24 because I think Derek Mason, I'm sure he's not going to say this in his you know, post-game presser and blame things on the offense, but I think he thinks, aside from you know some of these explosives, I think he's fine with how the defense played and what that point total was for Wisconsin. Do you think, I mean, am I wrong there? Well, I, not all 24-point games are created equally, right? Like, I, I do think if you would have said – you know, Wisconsin comes in and scores 24. You would have felt decent about Oklahoma State's chances to win. I think that needed to be under 20, especially knowing how the offense ended up playing, but it was kind of how we thought the offense would play. So, yes, I do think just point total, Oklahoma State would take that. It might be a touchdown too high. They were put in a terrible position, though. I mean, the, the time of possession in the first half was 23 minutes to seven. Like, that, that is not going to do it. I mean, and, and then you get into the second half, and I thought Oklahoma State's defense, you know, really stacked up pretty well in that half, even knowing how long they were on the field for the first half. So I don't put a lot of this on the defense at all. I think the explosives were a constant issue 
all year and, and it never really got better. I mean, look at West Virginia. That that team struggled to do anything all year. And against Oklahoma State, they bust two counter runs for 60-plus yards. It was kind of the same against Wisconsin. They did it in a number of ways with pass, with run. But ultimately, it was kind of same old song and dance. And so long-winded way to say, yes, I think they would have taken it. But the same issues crept up again. And ultimately, it wasn't enough. They didn't get off the field when they needed to. And, and that's that's that. And the problem with the OSU rush defense is you're kind of lacking in all the areas. Yeah. So we talked about the problem setting the edge, but then when the offense is running it up the middle, we have issues with the defensive linemen not being able to kind of read and react, fill their gaps and let the linebackers come and make a play. And then on the back end, you've got inexperienced linebackers out there, especially in this game, when you're rolling out Lamont Bishop in Mason Cobb's spot, who I, I thought played really well, but they just all three of those areas they need to improve on. And if they can even just greatly correct one of them and just be okay in the other two, you'll see a drastic change in the amount of explosives they give up. I So the official stat has Wisconsin at 5.5 yards per carry. That's actually underselling it because there were two sacks. You take those out. They're at six yards per carry. That's terrible. It's terrible. Or, Four, but but then, Kate, when you look at it, four rushes over 20 yards. So if you take those four out, so the other 41 non-sack carries, they only run for 3.1 yards a carry. You can live 3.1 yards a carry is great. Yeah. You got to stop the explosives. Well, isn't that the story of, of KU and Texas? And that was what happened all year. They would bottle things up and then you'd get one crease and it's, it's, it's daylights for the Oklahoma state defense. This is how it was all year. And it's, it's, you can tell it's frustrating Derek Mason because, you know, he wants to play that top down style and, you know, they, they have give up some big, you know, passes through the air and in, in some games, but like in this game, only two passes went for over 15 yards. They had a 20 yarder and a 15 yarder. And I know that Wolf only threw it 26 times, only completed 16, but that is the part of Derek Mason's de- That's the top down approach. It, I mean, you can also call it, I guess, bid and don't break if you want, but I know some people think that is kind of derogatory term, but your top down also needs your run defense to be somewhat capable of not giving up these huge runs or, or it just kind of defeats the purpose of the defense. So they've got to correct that. I think going into next season, I think they will be able to. I think they've got guys coming back. The only thing I'm worried about is interior defensive line. We can talk more about that later. Just to round out, I know we kind of already talked about defensive line in this aspect. Nathan Latou, fourth sack this season. Kate, that's the second most on the team. Yeah, he... I mean, and and the sack he had was magnificent. It was almost yes. like a clothesline. But... <laughs> You talked about him in the offseason. It was like, kind of look out for this guy. I, did you think he was going to be second leading sack holder in, on the team, though? I didn't. And I think his his snaps per sack has got to be like way higher than anybody else on the team because he has not played very many snaps total this season. I'll also kind of go back a little bit. When we talked in the offseason going into this game or into this year, it was like, the Oklahoma State defensive line is going to be one of the best units in the Big 12. Like, it's going to be one of the best position groups. Doesn't the Nathan Latou being the second leading sack holder on this team kind of just totally pop that bubble? I know everything else that we saw all year <laughs> did, but, like, doesn't that just, like, confirm it that this was, was the, t- the unit we thought it was? 
Oh yeah, it, it truly does. I think, I, I just think there was just some issues because teams knew what Oklahoma state's weakness are and Right. They knew the strength was the pass rush, and they did everything they could to take that away. Okay, so I actually got their stat, their snap counts up. I, I pulled up Oliver Kapinski and Latou. Latou played 144 snaps this season. Kapinski played 176, and Oliver played 462. <laughs> so Latou's well below Oliver, and, and still 50 snaps below Kapinski, second on the team in sacks. Yeah, that's so pretty good. Pretty amazing. I thought I thought Kapinski, like I said, you know, I don't love the Leos dropping into coverage, but Kapinski, there was one play in particular. He dropped right back into that middle zone, took away the crosser, inst- like without even looking. By feel, he knew where to drop because he'd watched enough film. He knew where Wisconsin, the depth that they like to run that crosser, and he almost. I mean, it was almost if the quarterback would have thrown it, he might've got past interference because he literally stepped right into the route path and he was not even looking at the wide receiver. So I, I thought Colin Oliver had a good drop too, a couple of times. Again, not my favorite thing. I'd rather these guys be coming after the quarterback and not just rushing three, but I thought they did a good job. So um, the only other thing I can say about defensive line, I thought a C made some plays, but then there are a couple of times where he got driven five or six yards off the ball by just one offensive lineman. I thought Colin Clay didn't really do much of anything. Xavier Ross, I know he went, I think he went out of the game twice with injury and came back in. So credit his toughness, but didn't really like what I saw from him. I thought Walter Scheid fought hard, but again, I think Walter Scheid is a good depth piece on the defensive line. When he's getting 49 of the 74 snaps, I don't think that's a positive for your team. I do think he's a really good player. I just think, I think there's gotta be somebody that can play over him. And then lastly, Rushes with two or less to go. Wisconsin converted five of six, 83%. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Oklahoma State just didn't have the pieces in the interior defensive line this year. Linebacker, there were some weaknesses as well. So that that front seven just never really got it going, especially against the run. So it, it's it's the way we saw the entire season unfold. And it was what we kind of predicted this game would be like. Oklahoma State would see a lot of things in this game that would attack their weaknesses, and that's what Wisconsin did. One positive on the interior defensive line, Samuela, 22 snaps. I thought he played really well in those 22. I didn't think he was amazing. If you can get 22 snaps, good snaps from Samuela, if he comes back next season and that maybe that increases a little bit, but if he's your backup zero tech, a guy that can play the one tech, maybe the three tech a little bit too, he if he can play that amount of snaps he's going to give he's going to give you a positive more times than a negative so as long as a guy like Iman Oates can come in kind of start in that spot or some or they go get somebody else out of the portal I love Samuel as that number two kind of nose tackle spot I think in limited snaps he always is a positive yeah I agree I think you need an NIL deal to keep him and Latou in place along with the rest of the defensive line. I don't think you can afford any turnover because everybody that comes in is a a vital piece to the success of this team next year. Agreed. Linebacker, wanted to spend a a second here just on Lamont Bishop. I think he is a much smarter player than I thought. I think he's a much more physical player than I thought, but I think the one thing that stood out to me is he can make some of those dynamic tackle for lost plays that Mason Cobb can. I think if he comes back, which there's been, you know, he was kind of a guy we had circled as maybe moving on 
transfer portal uh, caliber, I would think that Oklahoma State needs to do whatever they can to keep him happy and in place because I think he took advantage of every opportunity that, that was given to him in this game. And that might have been thinking about your future team, but I, he was great. I mean, it was probably a the bright spot on the defense in this game. I know it's I know it's way less snaps, way less film, but Bishop pops more than a guy like Justin Wright. And I'm not saying Justin Wright's a bad player. I think Justin Wright's a huge pickup from Tulsa. I think he's probably going to be your starter in that middle linebacker spot. But Lamont Bishop is more of a Mason Cobb than Justin Wright is. I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying if you if you want to get more of a comparison to a Mason Cobb, a dynamic guy that maybe maybe doesn't have the football IQ of a Justin Wright and the experience, so he may get lost a couple of times, but can make that six-yard tackle for loss, strip sack, fumble recovery, that's that's Lamont Bishop. And my question to you, Kate, is do you think he is athletic enough to play that weak side linebacker spot. That, that was my question Vincent. to you, actually, was is there a conversation to be had? So I'll ask you, I'll answer your question by asking you a question. Why not? I mean, Benson, I will say, had probably his best performance over the last six weeks in this game in general. There were some things he did that it was, you know, same old guy, but you need somebody that can run in that kind of weak side linebacker spot. I do think that there's a, a conversation to be had there, but I think Benson's there for a reason. I don't know if you have anybody else on the roster that can do that at this time. I would actually wonder if a Nick Martin with a, another year in, in the off season competes for that spot faster than a, a Lamont Bishop does. Yeah. Because I do think Lamont, Justin Wright and Cobb, well, I mean, really, Justin Wright's not like any of them. Lamont and Cobb are very similar. I don't think you can plug Wright in at the other spot. So I, I don't know what you do. I think you have a quandary there. But I do think Lamont Bishop has shown you that he needs to be on this team next year. Yeah, and Lamont is was, when Cobb was here, Lamont was the two middle linebacker, and Nick Martin was the two weak side right. linebacker. Right, My my To answer the question I asked to you that you asked back to me... <laughs> I get worried about Bishop in situations where he's <clears throat> sorry on the slot. Like we saw Benson, we even saw Benson got burned a couple right. times when he's running with the guy stride for stride and still the play is made. You're not going to find many linebackers as fast as Xavier Benson. So that would be my one worry to play him at the weak side linebacker spot. But man, I think Wright and Bishop are the two best linebackers on the roster. I agree. I don't know if it's really that close. I mean, I think the IQ alone is is the thing that popped to me with Bishop. It's like he looks like he knows where he needs to be. So again, without throwing Benson under the bus for the umpteenth time this year, I you got to figure out a way to keep him here because I agree with you. I think I think he's better than I thought he would be. I think he is better than Benson. I think he's a better like he would come in and he'd be the guy if it's not right. Bishop would be the guy next year. Yeah, and I think, you know, not, not everything Bishop did was great. There were a few things, you know, he got lost a couple times. He he was a little slow to react, but I thought he played really well. Benson made some plays in this game, like you he said, did. but there's just too many times. Man, he if a if an offensive lineman gets a finger on him, he's done. Yeah, and he'll get his he'll get his eyes violated sometimes. We saw a lot of that in this game. 
from linebacker to cornerback, which I know we'll get to here in a minute. Um, it was not uncommon for this group to uh, to struggle. But yeah, Benson, again, I think the thing about him a lot this year, he was in the right spot more late in the year. But when he was in the right spot, the physicality from the opposing offensive line coming downhill was oftentimes way too much for him. So it's going to have yeah. to change going into next year. So I agree with you. And I think I think if Benson if Benson can correct some of these things, he's so athletic. He's such a good piece to have because if he can get to where he's understanding everything, we've seen what he can do in coverage at at Texas Tech. So I, I think he can be solid. But um, Nick Martin. He's still young, redshirt freshman. I think he's a little slow, read and react, a little flat-footed at times, but I, I like what I see from Nick Martin. He's big-time hustler, attacks the football, so I like what I see there. Uh, and, Cade, you want to wrap it up with defensive backs? Yeah, I think that's great. All right. Corey Black, they didn't really throw at him very much, so I'm, just, I'm not really sure. He had the pass interference, which wasn't great. I'm not – thought that was maybe a little ticky tack there. I, I didn't go back and like replay it over and over again. I'd s- skip the penalties a lot, but I-, I thought Cam Smith, he got beat a few times, but I still like what I'm seeing from a guy that's what a red shirt freshman yep. out there yep. who what we weren't expecting to play a lot. I think the big thing in the defensive backfield for me, along with Jason Taylor setting his career high in tackles, mm-hmm. which does he do that every game? Uh, it feels like it, but it feels like it's all for the wrong reason sometimes. <laughs> like it shouldn't be that way. So yeah, but let's Lear say it together. Oh, I, yes, sorry, he's so good. I I want Jason Taylor to come back. You know, Oaks Report had reported he got an ideal nil deal, and he was. Now we're hearing he may not be. Derek Mason may have slipped in his press conference a little bit saying Lyric is going to fill in great for JT next year. And then he quickly goes, I mean, if JT is going to leave. So I think JT is going to leave. He's an All-American. I'm not saying it's a loss. But man, Lyric Ross is fun to watch in that, that free safety spot. And he's a guy that like I wasn't sure about middle of the year. And he has come on so strong. And in this game, I mean, he he did everything. You, you would ask for a jason taylor to do at that spot so i i thought he was phenomenal i don't want to you know take us all the way back you you mentioned Corey black he also got his eyes violated in this game he had contained on that uh pass uh i think it was that play action touchdown when it was 10 to 7 he was supposed to have contained two guys open on that play and he floated all the way into the middle and and bought the play action and and he was you know 25 yards from the receiver who he was supposed to be covering but beyond that cam smith was great lyric rawls absolutely was the highlight in the defensive backfield from this game i thought kendall daniels had a good game but if you're looking for something to be excited about in that group it's that going into next year i thought my guy, I love him. I don't think he's coming back. I know we've kind of flip-flopped back and forth on this. Shawn Michael Flanagan, I thought he struggled a little bit. Only 29 snaps. He may have been dealing with an injury or something. He looked a touch slow, but I, I thought he struggled a little. And then we get to see our guy that we've been asking about, our, our guy, Alex Fuller's guy, Trey Rucker, come and play that nickel spot. And, man, I, I'm fine with him starting in that nickel spot next well, year. He did a few things. He doesn't break on the football very hard on kind of the, some of the shorter routes. And again, he's in off coverage, so he's at a disadvantage. But 
You know, he got burned a couple times on some of those quick routes. He got burned on some crossers, but man, he's so physical. The, just the way he lines up where he gets down in his ready position, lined up over the slot, he just looks like he's about to do something cool. And yeah. he's so, so fun to watch. Yeah, I, I agree completely. He, Trey Rucker, like, was another guy, kind of like a Lyric Rawls, that I got fired up about going into next year that maybe I wasn't. I mean, Trey Rucker, we hadn't seen play. We didn't even know he was a real person. So, his first quarter was like, okay, you might have more at cornerback than we thought. The interception was great. I think the play of the game that he made, like his play of the game, was the the cross-country run to stop that walk-in touchdown when when Wisconsin goes, you know, bunching, I think it was third and one or fourth and one, and it's a breakaway touchdown. But he comes from the all the way across on the other side of the field and makes that tackle. I thought that was uh, – quite the play from him and again i think you do have something there with him it sounds like maybe some of the reasons he wasn't playing were disciplinary uh lyric was asked about trey rucker's temper and made a comment about it gundy unprovokingly mentioned it so (laughs) hopefully he can keep that under wraps because yeah that the interception i mean that's to me you know i can't see I don't have the all 22, but that looked like straight up man. It may have been quarters. His guy was the tight end who stayed in the block. So he's buzzing, which means, you know, kind of buzzing to the flat, reading the quarterback's eyes. And he sunk all the way back reading Wolf's eyes and picked that pass off. That's just smart defensive back play right there. So I love that. Um, yeah, I, kid, I really don't have that much more on the defense. I think the only other comment on the game was Tanner Brown just – 22 of 23 on the season, 78 PATs in a row, fourth longest streak in program history tied with Ben Brogan. That's just just good stuff. Yeah, no question. We'll miss him for sure. Dustin, for the last time, we just wrapped up a recap on the uh, on the 2022 season. It was so strange. I tweeted this after the game. At one point, Oklahoma State's all the way up to number eight in the country. You know, you're at TCU, who's now in the playoff. You're up 24 to seven in the second quarter of that game. And at that time, we thought Oklahoma State's a playoff contending team. And you get to now, and you know, they've wrapped up a seven and six season. It's not the six and seven season that their in-state rival had. It's still a winning season. But I think everybody, including everybody in that program, is probably thinking the offseason is a a much needed breath of fresh air right now. I think the biggest question that we have going into things is what what does this coaching staff look like going into next year? We'll talk about that as we get into the questions, but I, I think that has to be your logical next answer is what does this team look like and what do they do after you know one of the more underwhelming seasons of Mike Gundy's entire you know coaching tenure at Oklahoma State? Yeah, and Kate, honestly, our first question deals a little bit with that because we didn't have any audio, right? Uh, we don't have any audio, so we okay. can get into Twitter questions. We do need to take a quick break and hear a word from one of our sponsors. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, 
The Curse of Cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website. I'm just a big fan of Homefield stuff, and the quality is unbelievable. So check them out at homefieldapparel.com. And when you use our promo code FEELS12, you actually will get a discount. That's right. Feels 12. We'll get you 15% off your first order when you use our promo code Feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com. Check them out right now and tell them that the Feels Like 45 podcast is Dustin, as you were saying, I didn't mean to cut you off before the break there. No, no, that was my bad. So the first question is from our guy, Bill Minat at Bill My Geo Guy. He says there's a lot of discussion about the state of the offensive play calling and online coaching development, but can this finally be the off season? Someone asked Mac and do what exactly he does as cowboy back coach. And I think and there he, was yeah an office space gif in there, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Though, what would you say you do here? Yeah. His second part of the question too, just to shout him out, we won't hit this, this one as much just because uh, we've hit this one on previous pods and I sent him the Twitter thread, but he's talking about the Oklahoma state, offensive line, the injury issues, is it a strength and conditioning problem? We kind of went into that in depth on a previous pod. So I sent him the Twitter thread. We can hit it a little bit, but more on the coaching stuff. I, I still think that they're going to make some changes just from things that you and I have heard. I don't know if it's at the offensive coordinator level, but I think there's going to be some shakeup. Like, I, I don't know if Casey Dunn is going to be completely removed from play calling duties. I'm not saying he's not a co-OC or something like that, but I think there's some changes at maybe a spot like McIndoo's at offensive line. I could see it even to be where Dickey is, you know, getting older. Maybe he's relegated to an analyst position where he's still with the team and they go get a new offensive line coach. But I definitely think recruiting-wise, and this may not all be on McAdoo. This could be a Gundy. This could be an overall offensive staff thing. But recruiting-wise, performance-wise, depth-wise, I do think the Cowboy back spot is lacking. Especially, I know we lost a guy like Blaine Green this year, but just production-wise and just from what I've seen on film blocking-wise and and you know the fact that a lot of the guys who start at that spot are guys that were formerly walk-ons that were given a scholarship like a Braden Cassidy. I think we've I think there needs to be either a change at the maybe the coaching spot or the you know who's helping with recruiting there or just an overall recruiting philosophy change. We've seen that a little bit with Tabri Shetrin coming in. They're going at, they were going after a guy like Cole Taylor from LSU who ended up committing to West Virginia. But I I, I do think one of those two things in regards to this question, one of those two things, either the coaching and recruiting staff need to change or the overall recruiting philosophy needs to shift to more of the either typical tight end or more of the athletic playing green type tight end. But I don't think they can keep going with these fullback tight end hybrids that are normally converted walk-ons to scholarship players. It just, it just doesn't seem to be working. Well, I, and I would say the recruiting philosophy goes hand in hand with the offensive philosophy, like Oklahoma state, the, the cowboy back position in a gap scheme type of running attack 
makes little sense the way it exists today. I mean, that's just my, my opinion on it. You, you need an athletic receiver first kind of guy that can split out on his own in line, like an inline tight end. If you're going to start running more of that an H back, you know, that is a converted offensive lineman or, or undersized Leo that moves to cowboy back is of little value in a, in that type of environment. So I completely agree with you. I would say I'm, I have said on this podcast that I think the offensive line issues, the cowboy back, there is culpability, of course, on the position group coach, but it goes like it's this way in the corporate world. It's this way on in coaching. Everything rolls uphill, right? I think those mistakes over the last several years in either uh, approach or the hiring or the philosophy alone, you, you have to look at the person making those decisions. And if we're calling those mistakes, then whose mistakes are those? I'm, I'm not yeah. re- I'm not ready to pull the cord on Casey Dunn. I'll say that. I'm just not. I've seen enough. I do think he gets a really bad rap for what is – he hasn't had an offensive line in four years. I mean, so, again, that rolls uphill, yes, but I'm not ready to pull the cord on him as a play caller. And so if Gundy chose to do that, I would support it in a, in a you know, let's give it one more shot type of scenario. And and I think it could even be, and now that we've kind of moved on to just outside of the cowboy back and McIndoo situation, I, I think that even possibly bringing in some some different offensive analyst, maybe you know we mentioned a co OC, maybe bringing in a guy who has a little bit more dynamic run game to help out with Casey. Because we know Casey knows a lot about wide receivers and developing them and things like that. I mean, we've seen it. So maybe just adding some more, not so much creativity, but a different kind of voice from the outside that's maybe not on the staff right now, just to kind of shake things up a little bit. And, you know, maybe it doesn't work. But then you could say, hey, look, you know, we went – Casey Dunn by himself as OC. We brought in some new analysts or we brought in a run game coordinator who's also an offensive line coach or also a tight ends coach. And it's still not working. Now maybe we need to completely move away from Casey Dunn. You also have to take into account that rule change I talked about earlier. Right. This is an offense that was predicated on those, those backside cut blocks from the Cowboy back going up to the second level cowboy back and cut blocking the backside linebacker. I know we didn't see it called this year, but that's because they, they weren't doing it. It's a big change. I'm not saying that's the excuse for the offense being bad, but I think it needs to be mentioned in the breath with some of the struggles. Well, it's such a, a small detail that if, if you hadn't said it, I think a lot of us would miss like that right there relegates the 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 position of cowboy back and the guys that they recruit to be cowboy back to I mean, a, a question that we get every week is what does the cowboy back do they they this year was the the first year that i was like you know what i kind of agree with that like the way that this is going doesn't make a whole lot of sense so if they move if they shift philosophy into a gap scheme type of uh attack it makes no sense. I, I think you have to go get some of the more physical, uh, athletic receiver types. And and then again, um, I don't have a problem putting a new voice in the offensive, you know, play calling philosophy discussion. But if you're going to do that, I'll say this: Oklahoma State just went seven and six. If you go seven and six again, 
It's not just the coordinator seat that starts getting a little warm. And I'm not saying Oklahoma State would ever fire Mike Gundy after two seven and six seasons, but you can't go seven and six three times. I can tell you that. So yeah, and I think too if the, if they're okay, so if they're going to roll with Rangel, Gunner, and Flores, I think I think I'm fine with making an offensive coordinator move. I'm not saying I'm ready completely to move on from Casey Dunn as well, but I understand the argument just from what I've seen on film, statistically. You got to also remember, though, even though I know it wasn't due to the offense, they did just you know have 12 wins and go to the Big 12 championship Absolutely. game. But if they're going to roll with the young guys, I think I'm fine making a move at offensive coordinator. That gives them more time with this new offensive coordinator. However, if they're going to bring a Brennan Armstrong in, who I think is a, a very capable quarterback, you can throw his stats from this season at me. And I'll throw the 2021 stats back when he had a completely different OC and head coach with him. I think he's a capable quarterback. I'm not saying he's a world beater, but I think he's a solid quarterback. If you bring him in and bring in a new offensive coordinator, then everything's changing for everybody. Whereas if Armstrong comes in, he's the only one learning the offense. Everybody else already knows it and can help him out. I think if you're going to bring in a one-year rental quarterback, you don't change the offensive coordinator. That may... You know, maybe I'm dumb and thinking about it wrong, but that's my take on that nope. part. I, I agree completely. I do think that's a really good detail in this conversation. Why would you do that? I, I, was, I, I told a, a buddy of mine this on the phone the other day. I think Oklahoma State is a quarterback away from a five-win season or a 10-win season next year. I really do think that if you plug in a – Brennan Armstrong, a Grayson McCall. Here's the deal: there, there are not going to be a, there are not a lot of positions, QB positions up for grabs anymore. They have been filled, so the guys in the portal are available to Oklahoma State. If you go get somebody like that, it's the difference between a five and a ten win season, I think. Yeah, and I have, I have the exact same thoughts on the quarterback position as I did before the bowl game because I watched those two Rangel games. I think three times each. I'm not like <laughs> trying to flex there, maybe a little bit, but I, I knew what kind of we had there based on those two games. I'm not saying you got to make a full judgment on two games, but him not having the best game in the bowl game, my opinion doesn't change. If they want any chance at going to the Big 12 championship or getting to a double-digit wins, I think they've got to go get a caliber of a guy like a Brendan Armstrong. No question. Now, if they want to just develop Flores, Rangel, and Gundy, roll forward with them. But I don't think, and again, I could be way wrong. I'm wrong on my predictions a lot. I don't think they're even going to sniff 10 wins with one of those guys starting next season. I, I said five for a reason. Look at the schedule. Actually, we don't know it yet. But I don't think this conference is getting any easier. And I think Oklahoma State's in the wrong spot with this roster the way it is right now. And specifically, yeah. the QB room. So I, I agree I'm, with you. I'm not like completely against that either. I'm fine with development as well. I would rather personally as a fan win more games. So, and I like Armstrong. So, I, but yeah, I think, I, I think that just overall coaching wise to answer the overall question, I think there are going to be some changes on the offensive staff. I think we'll hear about them sometime soon. Yeah, I, I agree. There will be changes. I think it's still absolutely up for debate what those will be. Okay, Caden, let's switch it up a little bit. Uh, our guy, Brad Hedrick, at Hedrick Brad. I'm not going to read his question exactly how he worded it, 
it's funny, but basically he wants to know our thoughts on Trace Ford to OU. <clears throat> Let me clear my throat. Yeah, I mean, you knew that this was going to come up. We talked about it <laughs> earlier. Um, I feel like you have to choose your words carefully here, but I, I mean, I'm not going to. I'll just be candid. I, I hate it. Um, I'm an Oklahoma State fan. I have been for 27 years, a diehard Oklahoma State fan. Yeah, Kate, um, I, I don't want to cut. I don't want to cut you off because I know you're. I know you're about to go off. But just to caveat, you know, we, you and I, we do this as a hobby. We love doing it. We love that you guys like it. Those of you who do, we're not members of the media. We are fans. We try to be non-biased and break down stats and everything like that. But when we get questions like this that have nothing to do with stats, we're probably going to answer it as Oklahoma State fans well that's where i was headed i mean this you're asking me you're asking cade webb who has a podcast i I just have a podcast with you my friend who also loves oklahoma state football so if you ever think of us as reporters you are you're misguided in what we do and who we are so maybe the sunshine pumping thing is because we are fans first and we're not the media so i'll start there and then i'll piggyback on that by saying i hate it I, I I hate the idea of an Oklahoma State football player transferring to Oklahoma. It's it feels gross to me. Do I understand somewhat? I mean, if if he feels he can't, you know, get to the NFL here, and he is offered something that Oklahoma State can't match, you do have to factor in the transfer portal and NIL. And I don't know what he was offered. I'm sure it was something. Um, I just think it hasn't happened before for a reason. This is a new era, but it doesn't make it any better for me. Um, I I think there's a part of it that's like one of the unspoken agreements of college football. And it does pop a little bit of a bubble in my mind. Like, do these guys hate OU as much as the fans do? I think the answer is no. Um, And because I'll be honest, I hate them. I hate OU. Like I have for my entire life. And this doesn't make it any better. And I, up until this point, I could never fathom an Oklahoma State player doing that. So do I wish him the best? Sure. Do I want him to lose to Oklahoma State next year? Yes. And I hate it. So that's my answer. Yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm, I'm not going to add too much more to it, which I feel like I say that before every time I talk and then I go for like six minutes. But I just think that as a fan, the fact that he transferred to our rival, I don't care if they think we're not their rival. They're our rival, though. I don't like it at all. <laughs> I'm not I'm not a fan of transferring like that. The only thing I can think of recently that's even remotely similar is just because I'm my parents went to LSU, so I keep I keep up with them as well. Eli Ricks transferring from LSU to Alabama, but that's not even in state. And you know, I know LSU and Alabama are rivals, but more so because they're both been good in the SEC for a long time. This is a true in-state rivalry. And, you know, I've heard that Trace Ford grew up an OU fan. They didn't, you know, they didn't really show a ton of interest. So he went to Oklahoma State. That almost makes it feel worse. I agree I, you and I were completely. talking about that off air because it's like he always wanted to go to OU and now he's switching over. And, you know, you can bring up some of the quotes he had in the past. I I don't, I, you can bring that up, but anybody's going to say things when they're, you know, 
when they're playing for Oklahoma State currently. I don't really fault them so much for that as the just overall making that transfer move. And I, I know you said you wish him well. I, I wish him health-wise well, but I mean, I don't want him to do good because that means OU's doing good. So I, I hope he gets zero tackles. Well, and I'll, I mean, I'll just personally. I'll be honest here. It feels like nowadays you can't even talk about this, like, honestly. Like, as an Oklahoma State fan, I don't like it. I don't want him to have 10 sacks next year. I want him to struggle because he plays for OU. I don't want him to get hurt. I want him to be healthy. It would be the first time in his career that he is. But at the same time, you know, it feels like you can't – you can separate the transfer portal and a player having the right to do it and then me having a right to have an issue with it. I do have an issue with. Yeah. And I saw Brock Martin, you know, retweet and say, not many people are going to know the true reasons why you did it. I'd love to know them. Uh, No. And look, look, I I get it. And I get what Brock's saying. And I I respect Brock for standing up for his guy. And I love Brock. I love watching him play. You know, we talk about him a lot on this podcast because he's a really good player. He seems like a really good dude and leader. But because we don't know, we're going to base our opinion off the fact that he just transferred to the arch rival. So, there, there may be some, you know, if I was told everything, and I'm not saying I deserve to be told everything, but if I was, maybe my opinion changes a little bit. Well, but because of the information that I know, I hate it. I hope he gets zero tackles next year, and I hope OU loses every game. But I, I don't want him to get hurt. Well, and that's that's. I mean, you saw a lot of discussion about that. I think there's the. Uh, you know, message board, Twitter account where OSU fans are kind of going nuts about this and wishing an injury on a player. That's not something I can fathom either. That's, that's gross. That's disgusting. And that's, that's what happened on tiger droppings when Eli Ricks transferred to Alabama from OSU. Fans are just going to do that. I'm not saying it's right. I don't condone it at all, but that's, what's going to happen when you transfer to a rival it's, it's just the sad part of it, and it, it makes it tough for everybody. And I don't know if Trace Ford maybe didn't realize that was going to happen or if he just doesn't care. But honestly, seeing those, I, they, they made me sad, but they weren't surprising. Well, and so uh, just to kind of wrap this up, there's there's two things. One, I don't know the reasons that Trace Ford you know went to OU. I would love to know what they are, though. Like, genuinely, I'm not not saying prove it to me I, I you don't owe me that trace ford you don't owe anybody that but it it would be valuable to people like me that are confused by it by the even the optics of it uh maybe and th- i hope this didn't come off as entitled but maybe even the like the perceived you know tradition of college football this goes against that um the other thing i'll say is i, I hope somebody around him said hey I'd lay low for a little bit because this is going to be ugly for you. But and not even this is just going to be ugly in general. OSU fans are going to pop off. They're going to say some really nasty stuff about you, which they have. Um, so maybe like get off your phone because <laughs> what we saw is not that. Like e- even the thing that went viral the other day about you know want a cookie. That's that's the wrong look too. So everybody looks kind of bad here. You know, Trace Ford makes a decision for himself. You can't fault him for it. He has the right to do it. I do believe, as fans, we have the right to question it to a limit. And and I think that limit is wishing injury on another person. Yeah, and I know we started off this podcast by talking about how we try to keep it to stats and things like that. But if we're, too asked, if we're getting asked about it, it, it does deal with a player 
that is a contributor transferring. Obviously, we're going to talk about it. So we may be being hypocritical, but we thought we had to hit it. We had multiple tweets asked about it, and we thought it was something that just needed to be discussed. I think it's too relevant not to talk about. Um, So no, I I hope nobody thinks of it as hypocritical. And if so, we'll never take another question like this again. So (laughs) yeah, let us know. Uh, Okay, next one is from Brian Metcalf. Yes, it's it's kind of a long one. Um, it was a couple of tweets he had asked me on my personal one, and Brian, thank you for copying and pasting it over to the thread, so I didn't miss it because I'm I'm not great at catching everything because I'm not the smartest. But I think what he's asking when I look at it, and Brian, I don't want to read it exactly because I don't want to mess it up. It his question is on running back development, and I, I what he's getting at, I believe, is we went justice to Chuba not really having anybody ready to take over and having to go to a Jalen Warren. And I think he's kind of questioning coach Waz's development and, you know, is this the right recruiting style? Almost a similar question to the Mac and do one. I think this one's a little tough because in the age of transferring and transfer portals, and I know transfer portal hasn't existed for that long. But when you've got guys like Justice Hill and Chuba Hubbard, I'm not. I think I think you got to wait and see. Is what I'm. I think what I'm. Oh, I totally. You got to wait and see what happens with Ollie. What ends up happening with Jaden Nixon, who's still young? Because when you had Chuba and Justice taking ninety percent of the carries, guys are going to transfer out. Guys aren't going to get as well developed because they're not getting any snaps in game. And it's not a bad thing because you were winning games with those teams, but I'm not really sure if it's fair to make that judgment just yet. <laughs> I I agree with you, Dustin. I think it's a, a fair question. They, I think I get why you're asking it, but I, I think the it's way too early on Ollie. It's way too early on Jaden Nixon. And then I would even say, Justice Hill overperformed like for what we thought he would be at Oklahoma State. I mean, he was a three-star guy and came in and started as a true freshman. Like that just that rarely happens. And so I I think it's a little early to be, you know, kind of casting aspersions on on the recruiting philosophy in that running back room right now. Agreed. Okay. We because we went so long on the offense, both both you and I have a hard stop. We're running out of time. So apologies. We had a couple of questions, one from Corbett Klein at Corbett Klein, one from Brad Ross at Ross B.E. and at one, uh, Oach for OSU at Oach for O. All kind of asked in different ways about kind of state of the program, Gundy, if Gundy, if we think Gundy's being complacent, who's going to, you know, take a stand against Gundy right now and our thoughts on kind of the press conference and what occurred after the game. We don't want to stay on this one for too long. Um, cause this one I think is getting way away from what we try to do on this podcast. And Cade, before I flip it over to you, I just wanted to shout out Hayden at Hayden MOK state. He's talking about injuries, Southern boy sports podcast at, uh, so underscore boy underscore sports there. They both had questions about injuries looking into next season. And then future of the big, how Oklahoma state fits into the future of the big 12 Brody Smith, who I had a good conversation with and DMS asking about some changes being made to next season and then glory cowboy at go Sangar and Robert Dennis, my guy at RT Dennis. Thanks Robert for sending the question. All are asking about transfer portal type stuff. 
we are going to hit all this stuff. And Joel as well. Joel Pinfield asked Transfer Portal as well. We're going to hit all the next year injuries, new Big 12 Transfer Portal on Monday because all we'll really have is basketball. I don't yep. think any huge news will drop outside of maybe some more offers going out. Maybe Brennan Armstrong, but because the, it's the dead period right now, long-winded way of saying thanks, guys, so much for the questions. I'm sorry we ran out of time. I'll take the blame on that. But we will hit all these oh, next week. I'll try to go ahead and save these, and maybe we won't ask for questions next week because you got this is like six right here, and we can just hit these. So appreciate it. We'll hit these next week. And Cade, I'll flip it over to you to talk about the Gundy presser. Yeah, no, I think number one, continue to appreciate everybody uh, sending their questions in and apologies that we can't get to, to them this week. We are podcasting on Monday though. So it's not going to be very long until we're able to hit on these. So we will save them. We'll get to them. And I appreciate you saying that Dustin. The reason being is we've got really kind of three topics of discussion in these questions that we knew would take some time and we got that stopped. So on the Gundy presser thing, I'll start it by saying, you know, Marshall is a, a friend of the podcast he's literally filled in for me to host with you before um so i i say all of this with with that context that you know marshall's been good to us um he's done a phenomenal job continuing what you know has been built at pistols firing um i i think that my stance on it so i went to school for journalism and bailed for you know stuff like this i i think it was his right to ask the question and it was absolutely Mike Gundy's right to respond accordingly. I think, is it right? No, I think it's, it's rude. It's short-sighted. I think threatening to remove access from, you know, an outlet that has been really, you know, uh, has covered Oklahoma state for a long time. Uh, I think that is way too far. At the same time, I don't know what you're going to get out of Mike Gundy in that moment after a seven and six season just wraps up. Wisconsin kind of kicked your butt up and down the field. You can't move the ball. Your players are sitting up there with you. I don't know what else beyond no comment was possibly going to be answered there by Mike Gundy. So I see it both ways. And I think the reaction from Mike was, was maybe the thing that could have been done better. Yeah, I, I think you said it perfectly. I don't think Marshall deserved that for asking that question. I definitely don't think, you know, the quote, the the don't be an ass. Yeah, that's I too think that far. was uncalled for. Talking about cutting it, unless he meant cutting him out of just that press conference, I still don't think it was right. But if he's talking about cutting pistols firing out, you know, I, I worked for pistols firing. I know there's some history there with the football program. I think that maybe was a little uncalled for as well. I don't think Gundy should have done any of that. I think if he wants to apologize for those two things, I think that's fair. But to your point, I think I think getting upset with that question is fine. And I have no media background. I did not go to school for journalism, so I, I'm way less educated on this than you. I haven't watched every coach's press conference where they've been asked this question. So I don't feel like I've done enough research to know, but my thoughts on the question are best case scenario. You're going to get, we're going to look at it and evaluate and we will make some decisions in the next few weeks. Worst case scenario or 
probable case scenario, you're going to get no comment or I'm not going to talk about that at this time, something of that nature. And then I think actually a fair majority are going to get upset, respond either sarcastically, look annoyed, maybe even say something rude. I don't think anybody should go as far as Gundy did with kind of the name calling ish thing that he did there and talking about cutting out of the media. But I get you have the right to ask the question. I just don't really understand the point. And if you're going to come at me and say, well, then what's the point of doing any of the press conferences? I would Great say question. back to you. I would say back to you. I have no idea. We get most of our information from the Gundy radio show, the OSU Max stuff that he does, the solo coordinator and player interviews where it's less media, it's more kind of free flowing right after the game type stuff. You know, nobody's doing any kind of, those never seem to really get that heated. I guess Mike Yersich was kind of a, a a little offstandish at times. So, you know, I, I don't have not watching every coordinator's interviews, but you know, I watched, we've talked about it on here. I watched every press conference leading up to a game for the opposing team. When we did the preview and some of those coaches are rude to the media. So it's, it's not just Mike Gundy. I'm not standing up for him. I think what he did was wrong and I think he should apologize but I also, it just feels like, a, you know, what, what did you think you were going to get out of that question? It, it probably was just going to lead to not a good thing. And you're, a coach is never going to tell you he's going to fire somebody, especially after a down year and a bowl loss. So I'll, I'll that, also, that's my kind of take on it. I, I know I kind of maybe went a little bit farther the other way, but I did just want to say I don't think Marshall deserved that. And I thought what Gundy, those two things that Gundy said were uncalled for. Agreed. You you laid it out perfectly. The other thing I'll say is I do think reporters jobs in general is to, to get the information out, right? They need to get information. I don't think they're the, the role is to ask tough questions. I'll, I'll get off of Marshall for a second and I'll look at the other reporters in the room. Has anybody asked a tough question out of Mike all year? So this kind of conversation about, you know, we've got to ask the tough questions. We've been talking about yogurt and pretzels all freaking year in these press conferences. And the one time a tough question gets asked, the one time, it hasn't been all year, the one time somebody stands up and is, and is and this is from the journalist, you know, in me, that is is brave enough to ask the question that, you know, should or shouldn't have been asked. It gets the answer that is deserved. Is that the reporters in the room scared to ask? Is that the reporters in the room knowing better? or knowing better that it's not the time and place, all of that is up for debate. And I think you have to look at it through that lens, but nobody else asked a question like that all year. And I don't know why. Yeah. I, I also don't think Marshall needed to apologize. I, I think that oh, was nice agreed. of him to do that. I think that I, I don't think he needed to apologize. I do think Gundy maybe should. <laughs> I think Gundy should have apologized first. Yeah. They're calling him a name, but um, yeah, I, I think, you know, it, to me, it could have been avoided because you're not going to get a good answer on that question. But since it was asked, Mike's got to do a better job about it. And that's all. That's, that's yeah. all I've really got to say. Yeah. That's, that's plenty. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so two things that we don't normally talk about on this podcast uh, is how we feel about stuff uh, kind of on X's and O's related. So appreciate you walking through that with me, Dustin. I, it has been a fun football season to break down with you. It has not necessarily been a fun season, though. Uh, I've enjoyed doing it, as always. 
I'm I'm ready to talk hoops and and transfer portal and recruiting and breaking the offseason down. And uh, I I need a break. I think the program needs a break. They need a shot in the arm too. Uh, I think that can come in the form of many different things, coaching changes, quarterback addition. But this program needs a shot in the arm and it needs it quick. Agreed. That was uh, but that was a good one. Yeah, same same on my end. Had a fun time breaking it down. Ready to get back into the transfer portal. Talk about scheme stuff going into next season, what can change and get back to what you and I, you know, are kind of bread and butter there. So. Yeah, no question. All right. Well, we'll wrap this up. I think this is our longest podcast of the season, but it was fun. If you're not already, you can follow us at feels like 45 pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow Dustin at Dust Dragu and you can follow me at Cade Webb. Hope you guys have a happy new year. We will see you right back here on Monday breaking down KU and uh, much more. We'll see you then. Go folks.